Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. I want to read you two scriptures. The first one, it's Luke eleven nineteen. 19. Um, it's also repeated in Matthew. But Jesus is looking at these, these Pharisees, these people who have come against him. Oh, do we have it? Oh, my gosh. We, tech team is good. Let's throw it up there. This is Jesus talking to essentially the bad guys, the religious leaders. And they're, they're telling him, like, you're of the devil, Jesus. You are demonic. And Jesus says, yeah, if Beelzebul or, or Satan, essentially, I have a different translation, but now if I drive out be- demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? And that's the key point I want to bring tonight. Man, I love you guys. I love this church. And um, not just this East Coast trip, but I've been to a lot of churches. And what Jesus is doing here is he's essentially tongue, very sarcastically with his tongue in his cheek saying, you guys don't even cast out demons. And so when I do it, who do you think I'm doing it by? A kingdom divided against itself can't stand. And I want to tell you, I love the corporate church, the capital C church, but there's a lot of talk and not a lot of power, and um, it's grieving to me. Do you guys magically have Luke 6, 17 through 19? If you have this, seriously, you guys are the most prophetic tech team ever. Luke 6, 17 through 19, probably not. Listen to this. Jesus came down with them and stood on a... Whoa, whoa. I'm going to read my translation, but follow along. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to do three things, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all of the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. Listen to those three words. Hear, healed, cured. That's why people gathered around him. And I just, I get sad. It makes me so sad that that's not why we gather around him anymore. And I want to tell you, if we're, if we're gathering for any other reason, then we've lost our way. The man, Jesus Christ, is here. He's in the room. And, and we think that he's here to teach us, which he, he will. He will teach us. He says he'll, he, he tells things to his friends. He'll disclose everything that the Father tells him. But I want you to notice how many times throughout the Gospels that people didn't gather around him for the teaching. They gathered around him because of who he was. Even Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus, says, Now we know that you're a teacher sent by God because of the great miracles that you do. He didn't say, now I know you're a teacher from God because you teach me so well. He said, now I know you're a teacher because of the signs and the wonders. Listen, guys, um, this has been a week of getting what I've prayed for. And you ever pray a prayer, and then when it gets delivered, you think, oh, no, maybe I should. Is it too late to undo that one or to pray it a little less? And I've been thinking a whole lot about the calling on my life, the anointing on my life, who we are as a church, what we're gathering around. And I love that song that Jess sang. I want to be poured out. I want to be spilled out. And I want to tell you, this has been a week of being poured out and being spilled out. I have felt since Monday that this is probably one of the most, sun, most important Sundays of my life. And yet, there's no intimidation with that. There's only peace surrounding that. Is it hot in here or is it me? Oh, my Lord. All right. I'm not afraid to wipe my sweat. Just deal with that. I feel like this is one of the most important Sundays, honestly, of my life, and, and, and yet there's only peace about it. Yet there's only this response that says, well, if we're gathering around Jesus, we can't make anything happen on our own. It's either him or it's not. Either he does something or he doesn't. And I've just felt such a peace. I've been very emotional today. And I realized that in two days from now, on Tuesday, I'll have been your senior pastor for a whopping seven months. And yeah, all right, give it up. Uh, one of the greatest realizations I've had over the past seven months is 
um, just how little self-confidence I have in myself. And I want to clarify that so people don't write me a bunch of cards like, have confidence. I've actually learned um, how little trust I have to lead you and to steer the ship and to pastor a church. But that's not self-deprecation and that's not self criticism that's actually a realization and the realization of, is how much I trust him to do all those things for you guys I, I've had a seven-month realization that the flesh can't do this I wasn't operating in the flesh that's not what I'm saying but it's just been this constant daily realization that Jesus you are everything and Jesus you have to be everything when we gather on Sunday and I found that the end of Sam is actually the best place to lead from it's actually the only place I want to lead from. And when I walk on stage and I look across the room and I see 200 beautiful faces and amazing people hungry for the Lord, men and women in all these seats, and I get to think about the great sacrifices that people made to be in this room. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about cost tonight, but I think about the sacrifice and the, the cost the beautiful, beautiful, awesome privilege of pastoring a church. And it, it would honestly be overwhelming if I didn't know that it was the call on my life, if I wasn't for sure certain that this is what he wants to do. I've been um, drinking a lot of water because it's hot. Seriously, like we've hit new levels of heat. I'm dying here. Um, I've been... Oh, we've been reading a lot of Catherine Coleman lately. I cannot get enough of Catherine. If you don't know Catherine Coleman, just listen to her, I guess. And she said something once that just, it wrecked me because it's something that I knew in my heart and I've never been able to put into words, but she said, I die a thousand deaths before every time I walk onto stage. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I understand that. That's something that I know personally. That that Sam actually has to die or else you'll get Sam. And I don't want to give you Sam. He's a terrible substitute for Jesus. And so it's this idea of, you know, when the lights go down and the auditorium is cleaned up, my only concern is that I've delivered Jesus to you. And if there's any, ever anything that isn't from him, you have permission to flush it. You have permission to write Gary a nasty email as you guys, he's, he's our scapegoat around here. He has to be the reason why we're here. And I, I love you guys, I love our staff. I think we have the greatest pastoral staff in the world. But I'm just gonna tell you, you don't want Gary. You don't want Pablo, and you don't want Tori, and you don't want Sam, and you don't want Rachel, and you don't want Nina, and you don't want Carter, and you don't want all these people. What you want is Jesus through them. It's way better than just getting Gary, or Pablo, or Tori, or Sam. And so, I've, gosh, I gotta, I gotta tell you guys, I've never felt so weak and vulnerable in my entire life speaking to a crowd. Usually it's like, let's do this, let's go, and I still have that excitement, but it's just such a staunch realization of who's here in the room, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about him. And the challenge for me has been, can I actually turn my affections to him? Can I actually focus on him when I'm here to minister to you in a lot, on a lot of levels? The next well, today and next week, um, we're going to talk a lot about anointing again, and we're going to relate that to calling. And I love this church. I love it. Did I say that yet? I love reunion. And I love getting to see the healings and the miracles and the salvations and the deliverances. But I got to tell you, I've actually never healed a body. I've prayed for people and they've gotten healed, but I've never healed them. I've never had a... a I've never saved a soul. I've never done a miracle. It's always him, and it has to be him through us, and it has to require dying to self. It has to require, because to live, you have to die, right? I've actually, I, I've had moments where I've been on stage, and I, I really felt like, wow, that was a good one, and the Lord said, hey, that was actually you who moved the room. It wasn't me, and I want to tell you something. Um, I've moved a room before and I regret everything about it. It wasn't even that I was trying to do it, but there's, there's always a difference between man moving a room and God moving a room. And there's a difference between the Holy Spirit stirring the room and flesh stirring the room. There's only one thing or one person who can do that and it's Jesus. And, and I, I just wanna say this, like I don't know why this isn't like a confession, like guys, I haven't been doing this. It's just like, no, this is, 
two weeks where I think we're re-putting stakes in the ground. I've, I've felt like the Lord say, this is two weeks of rededication for the, for the house, for the church. And one of those stakes is just how incredibly dependent we are on the Holy Spirit. There is no plan B. There is no other option. Either he shows up or, or we've gathered just to have a little bit of fun or to sing songs or to maybe get smarter. We're absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, there's actually nothing to gather around. There's nothing to give. There's nothing to behold. So I feel the least prepared. I feel completely vulnerable. I'm just being real with you guys. But I also feel zero pressure. And there's an eagerness just to say, Jesus, you have to, you have to move the room. You have to stir this, this people. You have to stir your bride tonight. I have zero confidence in my flesh. I have zero interest in me speaking to you. The only thing that I care about is that you encounter him tonight. And I feel like we have encountered him during worship. But, but several times this week, the Lord, I, I just found myself saying this without even realizing it. I was praying for you out loud, and I just said, speak to them like you spoke to me. Speak to them like you've been speaking to me. Speak to them with your voice. Speak to them tonight. Um, his voice is really sweet. And I feel like too many times people stand in front of crowds holding microphones and think that hard work is the key to moving a room. And other than my wife, I don't know anyone who works harder than me. I mean, that's, that's not a humble brag. I'm just telling you, I, I'm a workaholic. I love it. Like, work makes me energized. If I'm not working, I'm probably bored and feeling terrible. But if work was all that we needed to deliver the Lord to people, that'd be way easier. I would work my tail off. It would be nonstop. It's easy to get yourself to work. But I want to tell you that hard work, it won't impart healing. Hard work won't save souls. Hard work won't transform the inner man. And I've been reminded over and over and over this week that our dependence on God is the critical factor for this house. Not our ability to do church. Not our ability to sound really good from a platform and make wonderful music. It's actually a burden, but it's a beautiful burden. And it's costly and it's precious to disallow the flesh from impacting whatever happens here on Sundays. Thanks, babe. See, she's a hard worker. I must be sweating really hard because I need a sweat rag today. So I wanna, here's a confession for you guys. I spent all week, I came home hot, feeling like this is it. I have, I have a, a message for this week and then Around 2 p.m., we usually leave for church around 3.30. About 2 p.m., the Lord said, hey, now that you've spent all week working on it, um, save that for next week, and you're, you're, it'll be great next week, but I want you to talk about something else tonight, and that's not super uncommon, but I, it's become less and less annoying to me <laughs> over the years. It's like literally like how many 40 hours I've spent like praying and working on this talk, and then two Three hours before church starts, she says, nope, that's wrong. So tonight what I want to do is build a foundation that um, next week we can move unhindered into casting some vision. Um, vision, vision, vision is what the Lord's been telling me. And I'm, I'm literally aching inside to speak what he's speaking to you. And so for the next one to two weeks, I want to plant seeds that are going to impact this house for 10, 20, 30 years. And I know we've talked about God targets, the, the prayer points that we talked about at the beginning of the year. A lot of them come from that. Because I, and I think that these next couple of weeks, he's actually longing. He's, he's aching to reveal his will and his portion for this house. Say portion. We're going to talk about portion either tonight or tomorrow. I don't know when or next week. And I, I just keep coming back to this thought that we have to remember. You've heard us say this, but this is as real as it gets, guys. We don't ask him to come join in what we're doing. We join in what he's doing. And if that means wor worship goes extra short or extra long, then that's where we follow. And if that means throwing out your talk three hours beforehand, then that's where we go. But moving forward, one of the things that he's been saying to us is new standards. I think there's, an actual, there's actually a grace on this upcoming season to have new standards, personally and corporately, new norms, where when people see these things, they say, yep, that's a reunion thing. 
That's what they do. Not because we want ownership, but that's because I want to be recognized for these things. I want our hearts to be what, gui- what guides us. I want our passion for the Lord to be our, our driving force. Here's a big one. Here's a new standard that I think that the Lord is saying. He, he's re-emphasizing it. We've always done this, always. We always will do this unless he says to stop. But he's saying, let's pause and look at this. And it's this. It's to create a culture of response. A culture of response. It's not uncommon for people to go to church for 30 years and never be given the opportunity to respond to him. I don't want to go 10 minutes in our house without giving people an opportunity to respond to him. He's not here more in worship or more at prayer ministry time. We have to, have to, have to make space for him to come and respond, or for us to respond to however he wants to come anytime that he wants to. We don't get to pick and choose. Would you agree? Okay. And he just began speaking to me that without response, there is no intimacy. Without response, there is no intimacy. Imagine that you have a spouse that every time you tried to be intimate with them, they would pull away. Every time you grabbed their hand, they would take their hand away. Every time that they gave you a hug, you just went limp. Or every time they whispered in your ear, you pulled your head away. You can't have intimacy without a response. And I want to tell you, reunion will be a house of response. It's going to make people uncomfortable. I love you. I'm not here for you, though. I'm here for him. We always, this, this is just going to be part of our culture, um, and, and you guys do such a masterful job. We don't want people to jump through hoops because God isn't interested in hoops. He's interested in hearts. But one of the things that we always do is we open up the front. We open up the backs. Get on the floor. Get on your faces. It doesn't matter. Um, it's not more spiritual to get out of your seat, but it's not more spiritual to sit like a statue if he's moving you. And we have to create this environment where when he stirs you, when he moves in a room, that we only have a yes to him, that we only give him a yes response. Not later when you go home. If he's moving now, respond now. This is important. One of the most important things to him is the gaze and the affection of his beloved. Listen to that again. One of the most important things to him is the gaze and the affection of you. And listen, I'm really good at being a a statue. I'm not the most expressive guy, especially if I'm sitting listening to somebody. But I want to tell you that we have to get past this idea of playing by the church rules. He actually fights to hear our voice. He actually fights to feel our heart beating for him. I don't care about the church rules. I don't care about the traditions of men. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is us responding to the one who beckons us. I loved when during worship, people just came up and got on their faces before the Lord. It's, they're not more spiritual than people who didn't put their faces on the ground. But I'll tell you what, that's costly. That's a costly sacrifice, and he loves a costly sacrifice. I want to respond to the one who beckons. I want to respond to the majestic glory. And honestly, which is a more costly offering? Which requires faith? To sit in my chair and and just stare forward with a burning, aching inside of me? Or to get out of my seat and find the lover of my soul? There is only one response in this house, and it's yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I don't care if it makes others uncomfortable. And listen, he doesn't care if it makes others uncomfortable. You're not here for any of us either. You're here for him. Most people are waiting for others to lead the way. Ah, Fill the room, God. Fill the room with hunger. Stir hearts. Religion, you're canceled. Legalism, you have to go. You can't stay here. Hunger, sweep the room. And however he stirs you, do that thing. Nobody's saying, well, Nina didn't get out of her chair. She's, she's not hungry for the Lord. No, no, no. If he's saying, Nina, sit in your chair and don't move a muscle, that's the, that's the most satisfying thing in the world to him is for you just to pour out your affection however he's asking you to do that. Jesus, you must be everything. 
You must be everything in this house. You have to have our hearts. You have to have our gaze. You have to have our affections, and we're not going to sell you short. You will get what you're worthy of in this house. One of the greatest tragedies in the world is restrained love. Restrained love. To sit longingly, to, to ache to respond, but never actually getting the courage to act. Not here, not in our house, no. We're not at church, we are the church. And it would be a shame to come and gather around his, his beautiful presence without an invitation to respond to him. Who else did we come here for? So you have express, per, express permission to lavish him with love, to satisfy the, the longings of his heart, to take delight in the Lord as he takes delight in you. Listen, don't let the fear of man cost him what he's worthy of having, okay? Are you guys all right? Speak to me tonight. You got to talk to me. It's too hot not to have a good time. All right. I know, I know I'm feeling, yeah, our, Angela. She knows. What's more important when we gather for us to feel stirred or for him, right? That's, that's a motto of our house. And if he moves your heart, you, you, you do get a choice. But my, my thought is respond to him. Turn aside, even if it's sitting in your seat, even if it's not moving. But my thought is, honestly, like when we invite him to come in and we're asking for him to be our bridegroom, when we're asking him to be the lover of our souls, there's usually a, a physical response made in faith to give him. And yes, it's costly. But I want to tell you that without faith, it's actually impossible to please him. He actually requires that. There's a cost to faith, there's a cost to anointing, there's a cost to Jesus, and where he's taking us is very costly. Um, it's gonna require lifestyle changes, just being very honest with you guys. Uh, I told the staff when we had those God targets at the beginning of the year, those prayer points, those promises that God has given us, that it's actually gonna put a demand on our obedience as a staff, uh, that we're actually not going to be able to stay the same and see those prayers fulfilled. I, th I think that part of the cost is for us as a house to make recommitment in our hearts to certain things. And last week when I came in after being gone for 18 days, I was so jet lagged. I didn't know what time it was or where I was. I was just dying, but I had to be here. I couldn't not be here if I was on the island. And I came and sat down and during worship, uh, I was half singing and then half praying and what kept coming out of my mouth the whole worship set was this take whatever you want God shake whatever you want God and purify whatever you want God take whatever you want shake whatever you want purify whatever you want let me tell you this has been a week of him answering that prayer and it's a dangerous prayer but it's worth the cost it sounds really great. It sounds really nice to say, yeah, take whatever you want, God, until he takes something. <laughs> He's really quick to answer the take, shake, and purify prayers. But listen, I want that to be something that we move toward as a house. Can we give him permission to take whatever he wants? You real quick to say yes, but guess what? When, then he'll put his finger on that thing, and you know what that thing is. Everyone has a that thing. He says, are you sure you want me to take this? Are you sure you want me to shake this foundation that you've created in your life? Are you sure you want me to purify this because I purify with fire? And this will cost you when I purify it. But it's not, that, it's not because he's mean. It's not because he's angry. It's because he's good. It's because he loves us. And sometimes those things have to be burned up in order for us to step into the things that he's asking for. One of the things that the Lord um, told me this week and it was while I was praying for you guys. Uh, it was more a realization, but he put it in my head where um, you're actually not responsible for me, but I am responsible for you. And man, that thought was heavy this week, but I'd rather have this church to be responsible for than any other church, let me just tell you. Uh, but I, it was this realization that I'm going to stand before him at some point and give an account for how I stewarded this house. And it's weeks like this that are the most sobering weeks to me because I realize that you're not my church, you're his church. I get to steward his bride. 
You're not mine. You're not Gary's. You're not our staff's. And as I was thinking about this, this is not the first time I've had this thought, but it's, it's the first time in a while. And I just started thinking how many more millions of people on this planet are more qualified to do this than I am? How many more are well-spoken and more equipped? But I keep coming back to the, to the idea of grace. I keep coming back to this, this beautiful, beautiful thought that the Lord gives us, that he doesn't want perfect vessels or golden vessels or, or any other kind of vessels. He just wants broken vessels. He says, that's the kind of vessels that I'll work with, is a broken vessel. I want a people who are yielded, yielded to my voice. That means they drop everything when I speak. I want a people who are yielded to my beckoning. That means when they feel me tug on their hearts, it's me, and that they drop everything just to turn their affection to me, just to turn their gaze to me. I, I don't think I've ever told this story at reunion. I'm not gonna tell the whole thing. You have to come to Kingdom Living to hear the whole thing. It's worth, the, the whole kingdom living is worth just coming for this story, I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, when we were in Florida, we started something called the Street Corner Ministry. And without getting into it, um, I'll tell that testimony some other time, but we created a, a, a ministry that became the bedrock and the foundation for our church. Uh, it's still running to this day. Uh, I think we started it 15 years ago. We ran it for about a year and a half and then moved to Hawaii. And uh, it's still going. It's still part of the foundation of that church and we just had wild story after wild story after wild testimony and and listen to me this is not this is not anything to do with me it's everything to do with how good he is and how easy it is for him to transform places but that that ministry the lord through that ministry transformed an entire area like a whole area of the ghettos of the slums of jacksonville florida was changed because because the light started shining in darkness. And the Lord reminded me of this this week where many times, especially when we were running that corner ministry, I would ask the Lord, why did you choose me? This isn't what I love to do. This isn't fulfilling to me. Like I'll do it and I'll do it passionately, but it's not like what I was built for. Why did you choose me? And I was expecting reasons that he would give me like, well, you're so equipped, you're so skilled, you're so talented, you know, I can trust you, it's your wiring. But when I asked him why, he didn't say any of that stuff. Instead, God said, well, Sam, you, you actually weren't my first choice. And Sam, you weren't actually my second choice. Sam, you weren't even my third choice. And that's where you're like, okay, God, enough, enough. Like, I get it. He said, you weren't my first choice. You weren't my second choice. You weren't my third choice. You were just the one who said yes. And I, I realized that he wasn't attracted to my skills. I realized that he wasn't attracted to my abilities. He wasn't attracted to my talents. Will he use them? Yes. But is he attracted to them? No. What he's attracted to is your yes. What he's attracted to is obedience. What he's attracted to is faith because he says that's, it's literally the only thing that can please me. If anything is outside of faith, it can't please me. What he's attracted to is love. What he's attracted to is unity. It's the only thing in the Bible that he says he'll command a blessing upon. So here's where we're going to go with the remaining time tonight. Uh, the Lord said this this week. He pointed this out. He says, raise the bar and I'll raise the anointing. Raise the bar and I'll raise the anointing. And let me tell you, this is how the kingdom works. This is why we don't dangle low-hanging fruit in front of our church family. This is why we're constantly casting vision, and this is why we're continually looking to him. We call it following the cloud. I felt like the Lord was grieving as he, he looked around his throne room and just saw thousands and thousands of angels eagerly awaiting because we haven't asked him for the things on his heart. They're literally just sitting there like, when are they going to pray this prayer? It's already there for them. It's already theirs. And I, I think that too many Christian leaders take a mindset of, I don't want to scare people away. I don't want to push too hard. I, 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 need this, I need to make this as easy and as comfortable as possible for people. And I've talked about this, even this year, about the costliness of being a Christian. But 
if we find that we're consistently putting the bar too low, we're going to find that what we're actually doing is following man instead of God. I love that song. Come and take up residence. What's the name of that song? Jess sang. We make room. We make room. I'd sing it to you, but I don't want you guys to stumble over how good I sing. <laughs> but that bridge, it says, we're ready. We're ready. Jesus, Jesus, welcome. Welcome in. We're ready. And as, as we were singing that song, I, I wasn't singing it. I was actually praying it. That's what worship is. It's actually you're worshiping from your heart and praying these prayers. And I said, we're ready. And God said, are you sure? God never asks because he doesn't know the answer. You know that, right? He said, Sam, are you sure? And he said, it's costly to be ready. Just ask the 10 virgins what their readiness cost them. And uh, I never want to... I only want to focus on what the Lord is doing. I'm not really interested in what the enemy's doing. Um, but I did have some grief this week, and part of my grief revolved around our ministry school, Kingdom Living. Um, and there was a conversation that was had about the culture um, of, of our school. It's, it's very similar to Reunion. It's a supernatural culture, right? Because if it's not supernatural ministry, what kind of ministry is it? It's a supernatural culture, and it's, it's a culture of freedom, and the conversation um, revolved around this. Um, the person was saying, I want this for my people, but they're not ready. They're not ready. They're not ready. And let me be brief but clear, and I'll come back to this story. Uh, Kingdom Living is probably the best thing that you'll ever do in your life if you haven't done it. Um, that's, that takes a lot of risk for me to say that, but I want to tell you, if you go through Kingdom Living and you aren't completely transformed and encounter Jesus, we'll give you your money back. I'm not afraid of that. It's never once happened. And I, I just think that he doesn't have to show up, but he always does. And every week we get to see signs and wonders, miracles, wonderful things, but those are all external. We go after those things. Those are important to us, but it's what happens on the inside that's transformational. Do you want to see believers set free? Come to kingdom living. Do you want to get set free? Come to kingdom living. Like I, I don't want to ever be a used car salesman, but I'm telling you right now, what is he doing on this island? This is a big thing. It's not the thing. It's not the only thing. He's doing lots of things. But if he's doing something, I, I have to be part of it. I can't say no to that. So I'm having this, or there was a conversation about the culture of kingdom living and being ready. And we've probably talked about this at church before, but um, when people say, you know, my people aren't ready yet. They're not ready yet. We want that culture, but we're not ready. I don't want to push too hard. I've, I've probably heard, I, I'll just guess, I bet dozens, if not a hundred pastors tell me my people aren't ready for that. And I got to tell you, I don't buy it. I don't buy that for a second. I don't, I don't think they're lying to me. I just don't buy it. I don't think that they fully understand because here's my personal experience with not being ready yet. When, when I felt that way, this was a long time ago, pre-reunion. This wasn't at reunion. I, I told the Lord, like, I don't know if our people are ready. And, my, and God, very gently, but you, you know, even God's gentleness can move mountains. In his gentleness, he, he came and said, oh, I'm sorry, is this about you or is this about me? And, and he said, it was, it was the most beautiful thing. It actually encouraged me, but he said, I don't care if you feel like people are ready or not? What if you became concerned about what I'm ready for? And then the tone changed a little bit. It was more of a spanking, but he said, how dare you tell me what my people are ready for? As if you know better than I do. And I, I've thought about this a lot over the years. I thought about this this week, but biblically speaking, please show me where any part of the Godhead, the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit ever waited until people were ready. 
Go ahead, find it. Even when it cost him thousands of followers, when Jesus said, go ahead and eat my flesh and drink my blood, he never made explanations. He, he just said, love it or lump it. You know, you're either with me or against me. And yet, and yet, and I'm talking to myself here because I've made this stance. We think that we're the exception. That all throughout history, you know, everyone else didn't need to be ready, but I need to be ready. My people need to be ready before we invite you to come, Jesus, welcome in. Do we understand faith? <laughs> Do we understand why we're actually here? And when, when I ask people, okay, fine, well, if you're not ready yet, when will you be ready? There is no answer to that. There's never been an answer ever given to me when they're like, oh, we'll be ready after we finish reading our Bible in a year reading plan, then we'll be ready. It, it's like we, we don't think people will be ready for it unless we go into like 12 to 15 years of easing them into the scary stuff. I don't think God cares if we think we're ready or not. My, my philosophy is if they show up at church, they're ready. Are you ready? Okay, you're here, right? Uh, I need you to hear this, is that God has set things up so that nothing about church appeals to the world. I need us to dwell on this thought. Every move of God in history from the beginning of time until now, biblical history, church history, every move of God, every revival has occurred when the church stood in stark contrast to the world around it. It never came when the church fit in. Believers and unbelievers should come and encounter his manifestation of his presence. And listen, don't worry if it makes people uncomfortable. He's the comforter. It's what he does. If people get uncomfortable, guess what? He's really good at his job. He will bring comfort. I would say that the only time that we need to be worried about comforting man is if God isn't in our services. Why would I try? To, I mean, I love you guys. I hope you're comfortable. Like, I don't want you to be like, uncomfortableness is godly. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying, like, if, if truth cuts like a sword and if truth is meant to set people free, that means there's bondages that need to be broken and there's lives that need to be transformed. Why would I worry about your comfort if I'm not the comforter? And I'm speaking spiritual comfort. You understand this, right? Okay. I do want you edified. I do want you feeling good. But it makes me wonder, where do we come up with these ideas about what people want? Now, we can't do that. This is what we have to do. We can't do that. People don't want that. Who is, listen, I'm on staff. Gary has been on staff for what, like 40 years, 200 years? How many years? A lot of years. Gary has been on staff for a while. Listen, nobody, nobody comes to us and says, hey, I would really love more phony worship led by stage performers. Can you do that for me? Nobody comes to us and says, I really love some more really eloquent words, but is devoid of life. I, I, would, I would love more cheap entertainment with no lasting value. Nobody says that. Where are we getting these ideas? I'll tell you where we're getting them. We're getting them from fear. We're getting them from fear. Gatherings with a low expectation of God have a low demonstration of his kingdom and his power. That's just how it works. Listen to this, this verse, these two verses, Ephesians 5, 26 through 27. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. I need you to see this verse. It doesn't say that he would present to himself the church in some of her glory. It says he will present you, the church, in all of your glory. You have a call to be glorious. You have a call to carry glory. Oh, not me. I'm too humble to do that. No, you're not. You're just being rude. If he's giving you glory, you have to receive it. You can't give him glory if you don't receive it. Others may say that we're not ready, but I'm going to tell you, reunion, we say we're ready. I don't care what the cost is. We're ready, God. Whatever you want to do. Spirit and the bride say come. 
Not spirit say come and the bride's hesitant because that's the scary stuff. No, spirit and the bride say come. And, and here's, here's the deal. Where he's taking us is costly. It will require lifestyle changes. It will take recommitment on certain things. And I want to tell you, there's a big momentum right now on, on this idea that he's giving us grace for that recommitment. And I'm only asking you to do things that I'm doing. Over the past, I don't know, month, ever since I've been away and now I've been back, the Lord's been saying, um, he's been asking for some big life changes and no, it's not like we're moving or getting a dog, maybe? No? Okay. I have to check like once every few months. But, but I feel like him saying like, no, we need to make some, some Sam changes. And uh, some are very tangible, some are very visible, you'll see them. Like I feel like some of them you'll actually say like, oh, that's something that's changed about him. Other things nobody in here is ever gonna know about. But again, if the prayer is take whatever you want, shake whatever you want, and purify whatever you want, that means that there's things that need taken from off that I'm holding on to. Things need shaken that I've been trying to stand on. There's things that need to be purified that aren't pure. I forgot about this. I had uh, Rachel Johnson praying for me before service here. And I was like, oh my gosh, where did this memory go? But it came back a month later. You ever have one of those? Like, how do, how do I forget this kind of thing? And then all of a sudden, boom, it came back. So good job, Rach. Uh, the Lord answered your prayer. Uh, this was probably um, a day or two before I left on the trip. And I went for a run in my neighborhood and it's usually very peaceful, very calm, and I was on the last leg of the journey, and I was running, and it all happened so quickly, you know, things just, you don't recognize, or it doesn't register for a few minutes, but I was running, and I see, like, about as far as James is from me, this girl with, like, looks shocked that I'm running, and I'm not running towards her, like, she's out on her front doorstep, and I'm on the sidewalk, so I'm kind of going past her, and she's shocked. And her eyes are as big as dinner plates. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what, you know, am I bleeding? <laughs> like, what is going on? Why is she so afraid? And then she runs into her house and slams the door. And I was like, wow, all right, Milani Malka, you know, those, you know those people. And I'm like, I'm confused. Like, that's such a weird reaction as I'm running. And then I understand why. As I'm running past where she was, there's a tree, and in the tree was a huge hornet's nest, and there's, or I don't know if it's bees or what, I guess it was bees, there's bees everywhere, it's literally like a cloud of bees over this tree that I ran past, and I didn't see it because I was watching this girl, but I literally like ran through the cloud of bees, and it's one of those moments where you like close your mouth because you don't want one going in, you're just, uh, whatever, I'm, I know I'll be through this in literally half a second, but I'm just going to plow through, and Literally, not one bee touched me. I, I didn't get stung, but I didn't even run into them. And it was over so quickly, you could hear the buzzing, and I kind of went, you know, a few hundred yards away, and I could just see this big storm. And it was like, what was that, God? And he was just like, just wait, I'll tell you later. Right, great, thanks, God. Uh, it, guess what, he told me today what that, that was about an hour ago. Um, next week, we're gonna talk about anointing and the calling on your life and the cost of following that call on your life. And again, it's worth every cost, but I also want us to understand that um, he's, he's often gonna take us through places that look really, really dangerous, that probably shouldn't run through, that others, I don't know why that girl didn't be like, hey, bees, she didn't do any of that. But like, will actually be taken through places, through the valley of the shadow of death, where other people run and hide, and we just brace for like whatever's coming, and it never touches us. And I felt like the Lord say, that's actually a prophetic picture for what we're gonna talk about next week. He's taking us to places as a church that I've seen people run and hide and, and put themselves in safe, keep in safe places. Um, I don't want to preach next week's sermon, but I've, had to, I've actually had to count cost this week. And the Lord says like, hey, remember all, all those things that I said, this is who you are. This is the call on your life. These are the anointings on your life. Um, it's time, it's time. And uh, you're gonna have to uh, pay up. 
and I need to be careful because we're going to think this is works-based. What he was saying is like, there is a cost to this, and I just need you to be prepared that if you say yes to this in this moment, it's going to cost you. But it's worth the cost. I will be with you. You'll run through the bees. It's not going to harm you, but it will cost you. Does this make sense? It'll make sense next week after I give the whole talk and be like, ah, bees, yes. Can you guys stand up for me, please? Thank you for bearing with me the past 45 minutes. I don't know what's happening, but I just feel like the Lord say, um, I want my people to have a week to prepare their hearts. I want my people to understand how costly their yes actually is, how glorious their yes is, how precious their yes is, how they will never regret that yes, but how costly it is. I heard, I won't, I won't give any details, but I was at a, a gathering one time uh, it was an organization, and they probably said this three times on the, the night I was there, and I've, I've heard that this is kind of like their, their motto, but essentially what was told to us, not, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, what they said was like, Christianity is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Uh, it, it will absolutely cost you everything. It, there's a roaring lion who's out to devour you. He will chase you till the day you die. Until you get to heaven, you're not fully going to be safe. This is going to be a bumpy ride. Our best chance, and again, the exact quotes, our best chance is just to hold on to wait to get to heaven. And man, that hurt. That hurt because I saw the whole room embrace that and embrace the idea that they're going to get stung by bees for the rest of their lives. But I want to tell you that his yoke isn't heavy. His yoke is light, and it's, it's easy. And, and while Christianity will cost you everything because you have to die in order to live, I want to tell you that it's actually, people will argue with me. I'm saying this on camera. I have to be held responsible for this. I understand that. But Christianity is the easiest thing you'll ever do. Because, listen, have you ever tried to do life without Christ? Where's your hope? There is no hope. Where's love? There is no love. Where's joy? There is no joy. Where's peace? There is no peace. Where's healing? There is no, like everything that is available has been handed to us because we're carrying his light yoke. We have to understand that cost doesn't mean pain. It'll kill you, but it's meant to bring you greater life. Um, can you guys just hold out your hands? Hold them up. <laughs> He's so worthy, he's so perfect, he's so joyful, he's so hopeful, he's so peaceful, he is peace. Thank you, Prince of Peace, for being in this room. Thank you for the call on this house, on this church. Thank you for the call on the people in this room. And I just proclaim now, we don't need to have altar calls, we don't need to have anything like that. You're here, you're here. Heal bodies, God, heal bodies. Broken bodies, be healed in Jesus' name. Broken bones go back into place. Diseases kicked out in, in Jesus' name. Mental trauma be, be healed. Uh, mental clarity be restored. Migraines, bye-bye. Hope be restored. I just, uh, he just showed me a picture of a black hole, and then hope came and just filled it. And that's literally impossible, but he says I'm the God of impossible. Hope can overflow a black hole. So black holes be filled with hope. Restoration of marriages take place right now. Literally turn hearts, turn brides back to husbands and husbands back to brides in their hearts. Let them literally have a passionate pursuit of each other from this moment forward. Break the chains of fear that reside over this place, over this island. You cannot influence us. We just declare it in the name of Jesus that you're a safe hiding place. You're a strong tower. We are your righteous ones and we run into it. You cannot touch us. He's bringing glue to broken dreams, be restored. Yearnings and desires that you had as a kid come back to life. He's showing me a, a fireplace filled with black charcoal. He's saying, nope, now it's back to wood and it just catches on fire, catches on fire. So fire come to places that were burnt out. Fire come to places that were literally impossible. And if you have heavy yokes, heavy burdens on you, take them off. Literally, just as an act of faith, take them off your shoulders and cast them aside. Jesus, we want your yoke. Your burden is so light. Surely, 
goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely your goodness and mercy, what it actually says, will pursue me and hunt me down like prey all the days of our lives. That's our portion. That's our inheritance. That's who we are as your kids. So Father, we we give you our hearts. We recommit our yes to you. If you can take it, take it, God. If you can shake it, shake it. If you can purify it, purify it. We give everything to you. Yeah, we understand that this might be costly, but it's worth the cost. We don't want anything, anything in our hearts, in our lives that need to be taken, that need to be shaken, that need to be purified. So come fire, burn it up. Take whatever you need, God. Hunger fill the room. Hunger fill the room. This is your church, God. These are your kids. This is your bride. Would you lavish your affection upon them? Don't hold back. Mark them all. He's not a God of less than. He's a God of more. He's a God of extravagance. He's a God of overflow. He only has good gifts for his kids. There's nothing bad about him. There's not a shifting shadow within him. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His goodness has never wavered. His hope has never been shaken. He's never been caught off guard. He's never been upset. He's never been afraid at what's happening. He reigns supreme in your life. He fights battles for you. He takes out his quiver and he shoots the enemy down. You actually get seated in the presence of your enemies to dine with your bridegroom. So Father, have your way with your kids. Have your way with your bride. Stir our hearts. Yeah, gift of faith be received in this room. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahalamoa. Aloha. Aloha.